Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. What I have to share with you this morning is a word that I've ministered a few times recently. And if I'm honest with you, I've been a little taken aback, a little surprised by the impact that this word has had on those I've ministered it to. Um, Maybe I should raise my level of expectation. Maybe I should be expecting more. But, you know, sometimes you minister a word and, and you believe that the Lord is leading you in something, but God sometimes surprises you with just how impactful that word is. When I minister a word on a Sunday or I preach, I have to draw from somewhere, and I have to either draw from personal experience, in other words, a journey that I've been through with God, where I've learned something along the way. When you have something like that, you have what's called a testimony and a story, and you have personal experience. And when you minister from that point of view, you minister from a place of of authority because you've been there, you've walked it, you've seen it, you've done it. Other times I have to minister by the revelation of God. God reveals something to me, makes something light, makes something life, and I have to minister from that point of view. But those are really the only two options I've got. Apart from that, it's just teaching. It's just, this is what the Bible says. And yes, although there's life in it, there's an anointing that comes when, when, when you hear and you can sense the flow of God's Spirit on something. The past couple of weeks, I think two weeks ago, I spoke to you about the prevailing Word of God, about the importance of hearing God's voice Letting God set our perspective, seeing what it is that God is seeing, hearing what it is that God is saying, and speaking those words. We spoke about the power of the spoken word and releasing prophetic words that we receive in our hearts by the revelation of God. Do you remember that? Last week I spoke to you about perspective, didn't I? I spoke to you about where, where do we place or where do we find our identity. What is it that we associate ourselves with? Do we continue to associate ourselves with our wrongs, our weaknesses, the things where we fall short? Or do we associate ourselves more with Jesus Christ and everything that He has given us and who He is in us? Because that again determines our orientation, our perspective, our approach. Amen? Both of these things or these subjects talk around the subject of prayer. But today I want to be a little bit more specific, and I want to talk to you about the title of my message for this morning is The Primary Purpose of Prayer. The Primary Purpose of Prayer, and that is personal transformation. So we're going to look a little bit at what this means today. I'm going to spend a bit of time talking about that, and then at the end I'm going to share with you how this became, in a new way and a different way, very real to me. I think if I had to say that to you, you'd all nod your heads. Yes, the primary purpose of prayer is transformation. It's personal transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so you already have a good nugget, I'm sure, of what I'm going to share with you this morning. Some of the things I'm going to share are not going to be new. But as you walk with the Lord and as you journey with Him over some time, you find that that same revelation comes in many different ways. Because you face many different situations. Sometimes you're facing a situation of need where you're needing God to pull through and provide. Sometimes you're facing a situation of discouragement. Or sometimes you're facing a situation where you just need wisdom because there's a decision that you need to make and you're not quite sure which way to go. And so very often we come to Jesus 
or we come to God in prayer, and at the forefront of our mind is not fellowship, but need. It is a need that needs to be met, and so we bring these things to God. Now, is there anything wrong with bringing our needs to the Lord? Of course not. God longs for us to do that. God desires that we come to Him as we are, and we expect of Him sustenance, whether that be spiritual, relational, emotional, provisional, in every way to come and help us to meet our needs. But what I want to start with is just understanding, and we're all going to nod to this and say, we understand that prayer is not about getting God to do what I want or getting God to do what I think He should do. And we all nod and we say, amen, prayer is not about that. How much time in prayer do we spend, though, trying to get God to do what we think He should do? How much time in prayer do we say, God, please would you do this in this situation? Please would you meet this need in this way, in this timing? So there's, we, we assent to the fact that, no, there's not what prayer is about, but yet in reality, all of us, in some way and somehow, fall victim to that trap. Prayer is also not just about complaining to God what you're unhappy about. Ugh. How much time do we spend doing that? Now, I want to say this to you. If you do have some complaints, the best place to take those complaints is to God. I've heard people say, well, if I can't complain to you, who am I going to complain to? Maybe just don't complain. But if you have to complain, take your complaint to God. But now I want to say this, prayer is not only about complaining. Because what happens in the presence of God? I bring Him my complaint, and I bring Him my grievance. And again, I want, to, I want to say this to you, there's nothing wrong with having a complaint in your heart or a grievance. As long as you want to sort that grievance out and work through that grievance in a positive way, that's a good thing. If all you want to come do is air your grievance, that's not such a good thing. So prayer is first and foremost not about getting what I want. It's not about just bringing my list of requests. It's not about just complaining and moaning about what my life is like to God and why aren't you fixing things. Prayer is first and foremost about relationship. It is about intimacy. It is about getting to know better who God is. And as I get to know that better, I get to know better who I am. Because I am created in His image. I am created in His likeness. I am born again with a new nature that is from above. Amen? And so the better I get to know God, not just what God can do, not just who He is in terms of He is God, but personally, intimately, the better I will understand who I am. It's very interesting. The better I get to know my wife, the better I get to know what I am really like. And that's not always fun. No, not, not getting to know. Getting to know you is fun, my sweetheart. <laughs> getting to know me, that's the hard part. Because she will point things out and raise things in my character that I can't see. I've got my blinkers on and I think I'm just fine and dandy. I remember when, when we got married, life was great. When I had kids, kids are another area that will really show you what you're full of. And I really, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the truth, I honestly believed with all my heart that I was a really patient person. Then I had children. And I began to see that what I considered to be patient was really shallow. I digress. 
Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 15? We're going to talk about the subject of prayer a little bit this morning. We're going to begin there. And John, chapter 15, it's something we're, it's a portion of Scripture we're all very familiar with. It's the parable of Jesus talking to his disciples about being the vine, them the branches. We're going to read it now. But how many of you know that this parable actually comes down to and revolves around the subject of prayer? Let's read it. John 15 from chapter 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Pause. If Jesus says, I am the true vine, what does he mean? It means that there is a false vine. Now, if you understand the analogy, it's it's good to pause here for a moment. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Where do the branches get their sustenance from? The vine. Amen? The branch draws all the sap through the xylem and the phloem. For those of you who studied biology, they get all their sustenance up from the roots, and that's where they get their nourishment from. Now, you and I as believers are to be connected through the true vine to get real, life-giving nourishment. Amen? But if he says, I'm the true vine, that means that we can be drawing the very thing we should be drawing from Jesus from other sources. Hmm our sense of significance, our sense of self-worth, our sense of purpose or our value system in life can come from our family. They can come from our culture. They can come from people around us, our peers, our friends. They can come from the workplace that we are in and the the way that, that they do things. We can draw significance or values from all these things. But Jesus said, I am the true vine. I give the real stuff. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Again, I want to clarify this. The actual translation of that verse, you'll see it in your Bible, there's a mark, it says, or lifts up. And the picture that you have is this. A vine grows on? Sorry? Trellises, thank you. I was looking for the word because I didn't know what it was. (laughs) A vine grows on trellises. And... Vines, if a vine is hanging on the floor, it's not going to produce anything. Its leaves are going to get all covered in in dirt. It is connected. It is connected to the vine, but it does not have what it needs to produce its best fruit. So Jesus is saying, if you are connected to me and you are lying in the dirt, I will lift you up. I will attach you once again to the trellis. Clean off your leaves so that you have every opportunity to produce fruit. So what is Jesus' desire here? that we bear fruit, and he gets onto it a little bit later. He lifts up, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. So what is Jesus after here is fruit. We're going to get onto what that fruit is. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, this, this word abide is, is a really beautiful word. And I think the best analogy I can give is to say to you that, that you all understand the difference between a house and a home. A house is a building. It's a shell, but it's cold. There's no memories there. There's no emotion attached to it. But a home is more than just a building or a shell. It is a place of belonging. And we find home not so much in buildings, but we find home in relationships. Home is wherever family is. Home is wherever we are loved and welcomed and we have a place where we know we belong. And when Jesus says, 
abide in me. A beautiful way of looking at that is saying, it's not just that I am in you and you in me and somehow I'm your house and it's this cold structure. We are in Christ and I live in you as if you're the temple, this cold temple. No, there's an abiding presence. There's a homeliness in our relationship with God where we are familiar with one another, deeply acquainted with one another. That's what he's saying here. Abide in Make your home in me and let me make my home and be comfortable in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So we see a clear principle here. If Jesus is abiding in us, and if he's, made, if he's at home in us and we are at home in his presence, what's going to happen naturally? Fruit. Fruit. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, what does he mean by that? We can do a whole lot of things without Jesus. What does he mean? Nothing that bears eternal fruit. You see, folks, if we just look at our life with a temporal, earthly mindset, all we have is our four score and ten or whatever it is, and our, 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 our life, our little span of time that we have in this earth. But if we have an eternal mindset, we will understand that everything we do in this life will echo into eternity. One day, every one of us will stand before Almighty God and will have to give an account for our lives. One day, everything that we have done will be weighed in His scales, whether it attracts reward and blessing from Him or not, if it's just burned away, it's chaff. Jesus here is saying you can do nothing that holds any eternal significance, that brings with it any reward in the kingdom to come without me. If anyone does not abide in me, and so here we have the picture of a branch that is disconnected from the vine, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So, in other words, without that connection, there's no life. It's good for nothing except to be burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you, he says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. What Jesus is saying here, in a nutshell, is that through his abiding presence, he will birth and inspire within us prayers that will be answered of God because they are prayed in line and in accordance with his will. And as those prayers are answered, this is the fruit that God will bring to our lives. Fruitfulness in prayer. You will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. Now, it's a beautiful analogy that we have here because he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, I have made you my desire and you have made me your desire. From that place, I begin to put my desires into your heart. That means that Jesus and I are in agreement. We desire the same things. And from that place, those kinds of prayers, Jesus is telling us, bear fruit to the glory of God the Father. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. In other words, that you pray prayers that only He can glorify, get glory from. In other words, you pray prayers, God moves because you prayed, and because He moves and something miraculous happens or something changes, God gets glory. Isn't that incredible? Wouldn't you like to be praying those kinds of prayers? No? Yes? 
No? Are you here this morning? You see, Jesus is calling us into a life of tremendous power and tremendous influence. As we allow Him in His abiding presence to shape our desires, to shape our prayers, to match what it is that is on His heart. God desires for us to bear much fruit in prayer, but this fruit is clearly dependent upon our abiding in Him. The better we know Him, the better empowered we are to pray according to His will. You see, James chapter 4, verse 3 says this, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. You should ask a mister. Just putting it out there. No, that's not what it says. It says you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. In other words, you ask for the wrong things. You ask for things that are off topic. How many of you struggle with that? God, I'm asking, God, I'm asking, God, I'm asking, and nothing happens. You do not receive. What is most likely the problem? You're asking for the wrong thing. You're asking for the wrong thing. <laughs> it says that you may spend it on your pleasure. In other words, your focus... Now, now listen to me, because this is really important. The pursuit of pleasure is a dangerous game. It's a fool's game. Because the pursuit of pleasure or comfort will always cause us to compromise the values of the kingdom of God. Being, be, living life in the kingdom, understanding, if you, if you like the, the old analogy that we are, are warriors in a kingdom, a warrior is not focused on his comfort, but he is focused on the advancement of his mission. And what, what the author, what James is saying here is, you ask and you ask him, because you are focused on your comfort. You are focused on your pleasure. You are focused on relief from whatever ails you or whatever it is that is coming against you that is making you feel uncomfortable or trying to drag you from your comfort zone. And very often, the very person trying to drag you, kicking and screaming from your comfort zone, is God himself. And so you're saying, God, I want more of you. And he's saying, come on then. And you're going, no, God, that's uncomfortable, but I want more of you in my comfort, please, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I'm not there in your comfort. I'm not com committed to your comfort. What I am committed to is the development of your character. I want to make you more like me. And I invite you on this journey. So come, take my hand. Let's go. Years ago, I had a, a vision in prayer. I was praying with Pastor Andreas. And it was a time of great decision for my wife and I. And I'll never forget, as I was praying, I had this vision of this road that was carved out. It was, it was a farm road, perhaps. There were lots of trees in the background, fields on either side with tall grass. And there was this well-established road, sort of that a car could drive down, gravel. Beautiful road. And this is kind of everything I knew and everything I was used to. And as I was walking along this road, I saw Jesus, a figure that to me represented Jesus, and there was a little path, a little footpath, not well established, a narrow little road. And all he did was hold his hand out to me. And I remember taking my wife's hand and taking his hand, and together we walked down this path. And Jesus was calling me out of something that I knew, out of something I was familiar with, out of something I was comfortable with, down a new road. And here's the thing, I didn't know where that path was leading. But I trusted the one who was leading me. Amen? And so often in life, when it comes to this area of prayer, 
We want all the answers. We want to know the end from the beginning. The question is not, do we, do we need to know the end? The question is, do we trust the one who does? And are we willing to go along with the journey? Philippians 2 verse 13, we read it a moment ago, says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Folks, following Jesus should never be a burden for us. Keeping His commandments should never feel to us like, oh, why does God try to stop me from having all this fun? Because let's be honest, sin is fun, right? Am I the only one who knows this? <laughs> Don't look at me with those holy faces. It's pleasurable to the flesh. It indulges the flesh, but it does no good for our spirit man, and it leads us astray because it is deceptive. It pleases in the present and leaves us shamed in the future. The Amplified Bible says it this way, Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually working in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for His good pleasure and sanctification and delight. Why do I read the Scripture? It is so that we allow that process to happen and we don't end up in the place that James was talking about where we're praying prayer after prayer after prayer, but nothing's getting answered because we're praying the wrong way. We're focused on our comfort and what we desire rather than having the Lord God work in our hearts to give us what He desires. Not just the will, but also the grace to go along with it and to take His hand and to trust Him and to follow Him. You see, there's this constant request, this constant invitation from the heart of God to us which says, ask of me, seek me, Knock, And we're going to read that scripture in a moment. But before we do, I want to ask you this question. He says, ask and seek and knock in expectation of what? Well, yes, not answers, doors open. But Jesus actually tells us something very interesting in this portion of scripture. Let's get to it. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 to 13. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Let's just think about that for a moment. Ask. Jesus, I ask. Father, I ask. Lord, I come. I ask. And the Bible says it will be given to you. Not it might be. Not it could be, depending on how you've lived this week. Not it will be, you know, if you have enough faith. All he says is ask, and it will be given to you. What is it? Let's carry on. Seek, and you will find. Not might find, but you will find. Find what? Let's carry on. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. How many people? That means you. Listen, look at me for a second. Many of us come to a place where we feel maybe, maybe I can't hear God's voice or I'm struggling to hear God's voice. Maybe we feel because we're dealing with shame or we're dealing with whatever it may be in our hearts that maybe it's just not for me or God. God is always speaking to you. And God's desire for you is to hear what it is that He is saying. Because it's His words that produce life and healing and restoration and mercy and forgiveness and cleanse our hearts afresh. He calls us to this. 
Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. There's never going to be a time where we're knocking on the, on the door of God and we're going to find he's out. <laughs> Don't know where he's gone, but he ain't there. The light's on, but nobody's home. No, he's always there waiting. And here's the beautiful analogy. Here's a beautiful analogy. You, you, we read this scripture and it says, Come to me, knock, because I long to open. And then we read in the book of Revelations, You didn't come knock, so I come. Now I'm knocking at the door. Will you open and let me in? That's as though that door of your heart is a significant space. That door of your heart, I want to say it again, is a significant space. Because it's, it's that doorway of our heart, what we open ourselves up to, that determines what comes in and what comes out. And God's saying, knock at that door, because I'm standing outside, I'm waiting for you. He said to Cain, sin waits at the door for you. But now in Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm waiting at that door for you, and I'm knocking. I'm waiting for you to knock, but if you're not going to knock, I'm knocking. The point is, I just want you to open the door. Why? Because I want to have that fellowship with you. And then he says to him, here's what he equates that with. If a son asks bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, Jesus is saying here, ask, seek, knock. For what? For more of Him. For he who asks for more of me will receive. He who seeks more of me will find more of me. And to him who knocks, I will always open that door and have rich, beautiful, wonderful fellowship with him. It's important to understand the context that the scripture fall, falls into. I want to take you through the trail of thought. It starts off by Jesus teaching about the model prayer. Let me ask you, why did Jesus teach the disciples how to pray? Very good. Because they asked him to. It's not higher grade. But the fact that they asked him to tells us something. You see, they walked with him. They saw his life, his ministry, his mannerisms, his habits. They saw what happened when he goes for a night up on the mountain and he comes down and it's like the kingdom of God explodes on the scene and people are just getting healed and fed and delivered and incredible stuff is happening. So they see this and they come to him and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. We understand that this is... So Jesus teaches them, our Father, this is how you pray, who art in heaven, etc., etc. He then goes on to tell them a parable about a man who is in bed with his family, and if somebody, his friend comes to him at midnight, they're all fast asleep. The friend comes in at midnight, starts knocking at the door and says, hey, man, I need some bread. Can you help me out? He says, go away. It's the middle of the night. What, do you do? what club are you coming home from now that you want bread? What's the matter with you? Go home. Come back tomorrow morning. That's not the exact words. I paraphrase. He knocks again. He says, come on, open the door. Open the door. Please, man, I need some bread. I'm hungry. Come on. He says... He gets up, he gives him bread. He says, if, if that man, due to the persistence of the one asking, would get up, how much more would your heavenly father if you come and ask him for anything? And then he goes on to talking about the portion of scripture we've just read about. Come ask, come seek, come knock, because I'm desiring to give these things to you. 
The thought that Jesus is trying to convey here is that when we ask and seek and knock, he will give us more of who he is in the midst of our situation. I want to say that again. The idea that Jesus is trying to convey to us, and we need to get our hearts and our heads around this because this is a vital point to a successful and a fulfilled prayer life. They're coming with requests, and Jesus is trying to say, whatever your request is, I long to meet that request with who I am, with more of me. You see, so often when we come to God, all we want is relief, or all we want is provision. God, I want you to take this situation from me. Or God, would you please, sort, would you please intervene in this relationship? God, would you please provide miraculously somehow in this need? I want relief from the debt. I want relief from the pressure. I want relief from the discomfort that this relationship is causing me. God, would you please bring me relief so that I can once again get back into that place where I am comfortable, where I'm not being tried, where, where things aren't a struggle. I just, I want relief. How much of our prayer life is based on that? Relief from the pressure. Relief from the need of having to provide. Relief from the need or the responsibilities that, we, that God calls us to carry. So too often we're looking for relief. Whereas God is wanting to develop, and through the situation that we find ourselves in, God is wanting to develop our character and call us into deeper realms of His grace, that we may learn to know Him and His power and His perspective in the midst of what we are going through. So instead of removing that thing that can shape our character and draw us deeper into who He is, God wants to meet us in that situation and be, that we may, through our new understanding, through His grace, become a force for change in that situation. Paul talks about this in the letter of 2 Corinthians. From verse, uh, chapter 12, I'll read to you, verse 7 to 10. You, you, you'll be well familiar with this. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it may depart from me. Let's pause there for a moment. There's a lot of talk and a lot of controversy what this thorn in the flesh was. Some people say it was a sickness. Some people say it was a demon. Some people say it was his persecutions. At the end of the day, it's really irrelevant. Paul doesn't tell us, so it doesn't really matter. What does really matter is what Paul tells us. He begged God. The Bible says he pleaded. He pleaded. He was on his knees begging. So we get the picture of a desperate man here. And what was his heart's cry? I pleaded and pleaded and pleaded three times with God for relief. I pleaded that this thing which was a thorn to, my, to me, discomfort to me, pain to me, opposition to me, would be taken away. And I prayed it not once, not twice, three times I prayed for relief. How many of you can identify with that? You're in a situation that's rough or tough, and you just want relief. But here is what God says to him. Verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then we suddenly see, although the outward situation that Paul is facing doesn't change, his perspective changes completely. 
We see a 180 degree turn here, where in one moment he's pleading, God, please take this thing from me. Now he says, I will most gladly boast in my infirmities. What? How much sense does that make? How many of you would like to boast about your trials? Oh, hallelujah, I am so deep in debt. If I don't have a snorkel, I ain't going to be able to breathe much longer. Hallelujah, I am so stricken with this. <laughs> now, we don't praise God for those things. The point Paul is making here is he's praising God in the midst of those things. Why? I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. How is it that God answered Paul's cry, his request, his seeking, his knocking? More of Christ. That situation opened up a door within his heart that ushered in a greater revelation of Jesus Christ and his power and his presence than Paul had ever known before. Do we understand this? The mighty apostle Paul, all the afflictions he suffered, all the lashings, the beatings, even he needed a new and a fresh revelation of the presence and the nearness and the closeness of Jesus Christ. How much more you and I? Hello? Therefore, I will most rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. Because then, when I am weak, when I am needy of His grace, when I am unable to bear the pressure, where I am unable to overcome the situation, where my weakness is laid bare in front of me, there Christ's strength comes through and does what I never could. You see, I set out to do it not knowing from the very start that I couldn't. And along the way, I found myself woefully wanting. But praise God, at that point, I met Jesus in a new experiential way that I'd never met or known Him before. Let me ask you this. If God broke through today, miraculously, and gave you everything your heart seeks after, deliverance from every opposition, breakthrough in every area, abundant provision in every area, how much would you seek Him? How desperate would you be? Oh, we'd be in love with him for a little while, for sure. Oh, we'd be singing praises, for sure. Until the next thing came along. How many people have won the lottery and found themselves in abject poverty not long thereafter? Because although they got relief and abundance, who they were on the inside was never dealt with. And so who they are led them right back to the place that they started. You see, this is the journey that God wants to take us on. He wants to mold our character so that we do not keep going back to where we came from, but that we can look ahead and move into where it is that He wants to take us. God desires in every situation, the good and the bad, that we become more like Him. A preacher said it a little while ago, I can't remember who it was, but it's really stuck with me. He said, God didn't come, or Jesus didn't come into this world to make a better you. Jesus came into this world to make you more like him. Because this world around us, folks, doesn't need a better you. It needs more of him. 
And this is the journey that we're on with God. This is the primary purpose, excuse me, of prayer. I love this scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, but we all, who is we all? We, believers, as with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. By the revelation of God, as we look at Him, He begins to transform us. As we look at Him, we change our perspective. We have a revelation of who He is, we end up with a revelation of who we are. Amen? It's like I said to you, when I met my wife, ah, I had a wonderful revelation of this beautiful thing. Wow, I was getting into something amazing. And then along the way, I had a revelation of who I was in this beautiful thing. And man, I had some work to do. How much more with God? And if you look at Paul's consistent prayers for the believers, whether they be in the, the, the letters to the Corinthians, to the Philippians, to the Ephesians, to the Galatians, wherever Paul is writing these letters, there's a theme that he is praying for. And here's the one thing he prays for repeatedly. A greater revelation of Jesus. A greater revelation of God and the calling of God upon our lives. Because it is that revelation that enables us to overcome whatever situation it is that we are facing. Paul doesn't pray for deliverance. You, he prays for blessing now and then. My God shall supply all your need as a response to the abundance generosity of the Philippians. But most of the time his prayers go a little bit something like this. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15 to 19, he says, Therefore, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And then he goes on to tell them what he prays for them. That the God of our Father, the, Lord, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He prays that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. A nice way to think of that is the eyes of your understanding, your perspective may be breathed upon by the Spirit and the life of God. That your perspective would change. That you may know what is the hope of His calling upon your life. So you no longer live in frivolity, seeking comfort, seeking pleasure, seeking just to be relieved from all the stuff that's going on. But you understand that there is a call and a destiny on your life that Jesus is leading you into that requires personal transformation in order to bring itself to bear in the world around you. And what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe? So in other words, He's calling them, He's praying, God, that they would know the calling that you've called them into and that as they get a revelation of that calling, they would encounter and experience your grace and your power flowing in them and through them to walk out and live out that calling to the glory of God and to the, the growth and establishment of the kingdom of God. It is a beautiful picture that Paul says, that Paul prays. And we need to understand that this is the essence, the primary purpose of prayer in the life of the believer. Folks, until we are willing in that place of prayer, to conform to the likeness of Christ in our devotion and our intimacy with the Heavenly Father, we cannot hope to bring real or lasting change to the world around us. There's a desire in us to see Jesus work through us, 
that is a God-given desire. But unless we're getting in touch in that secret place with Him and allowing Him to work in our hearts and change us, change us, convict us, correct us, call us, inspire us, the world around us is not going to change through us. Because it is not by might, it is not by our good works, it is not by our programs that it happens. But it is by the Spirit of the Lord as He works through us. I have a personal testimony about this. I said I was going to give you one. Sometime last year, I, I went away for a few days just to pray and fast. And I had a real breakthrough in this area of my prayer life. I was in a place of great frustration. I'm wanting to see God move in certain areas. I feel I have a clear idea of what God is wanting to do, but I'm not seeing any manifestation. I'm feeling stuck. I'm saying, God, I need clarity here because what I'm seeing and what I'm sensing in my heart, they don't marry up. And, you know, it's amazing when you come to this kind of place, you almost get to the place where, God, I've done everything you've told me to do and still nothing is happening. It's amazing how we get so self-righteous. We have done what we've been told to do. We've done what the Lord said we should do. We've released where the Lord said release. We've taken hold where the Lord... And just nothing's happening. God, I've done everything. In other words, what we start saying is, God, I've done everything you've told me to, and you are not living up to your end of the bargain here. Anybody else felt, felt that kind of level, of level of arrogance in their heart before? I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and nothing's happening. What's the point? Why pray anymore? Nothing's changing. You're a good God, but nothing's happening. You say, I don't see any of this stuff here that you promise. What's happening? Clearly, I'm asking a miss. <laughs> My prayers became so centered on the results that I wanted to see and not around the intimacy that God was inviting me into. I was having a real pity party in God's presence. And this went on for about the first day. <laughs> okay, a day and a half. Just moaning and complaining and trying to make sense of all this stuff, trying to make sense of the prayers I pray. And you understand, I'm, I, I'm not saying I was this arrogant before God, but what I'm trying to articulate is, is just the heart attitude and you, the, the, the hopelessness and the desperation I was feeling. And then in that moment, God came and met me in my point of need. And He brought me out of my misery. And He gave me exactly what it is that I needed. Do you know what it was? Just Him. It was just Him. It was just Him saying, I know. <laughs> it was almost as though, God, you're oblivious to what I'm going through here. And in that moment, He just said, no, I'm not. I know. And He said to me, Michael, where is your faith? Oh. What have you been setting your eyes on? What have you been focusing on? What words have you been speaking? He spoke to me about my level of faith. And it was incredible that although my situation didn't change, in fact, although very little about that whole situation has changed since, I've changed. I've changed in it. I've changed through it by the uncomfortableness I was feeling in my flesh and all these things, being able to go sit before God and have Him breathe on all these things and just in a minute, just make sense of it all. 
just as if none of it mattered, and just as if, what is all the fuss about? And then I look at it and I go, I don't know. I don't know what all the fuss is about. But there was fuss. And there was anxiety. And yet, just a little from God. And it's all gone. And it's all gone. Now I have peace. I have grace. He's working in me. I work from a place of rest. And I am learning, I say that word carefully, learning patience. There's one word Andreas keeps talking to me these days. Michael, patience. Time is your friend. Don't be in a hurry. I'm one of those people who identify more with Martha than with Mary. There are some people who identify with Mary. They love to spend, they love to just sit and be in the presence of God. I love to run around and do in the presence of God. That's just my natural instinct. Now, I have to discipline myself. I'm that, I'm that sheep that, that God is talking about in Psalm 23. He maketh me to lie down. And I've learned that in these things God is working. So let's hear again what James says. He says this. James 1, verse 2 to 5. He says, My brethren, my brothers, my sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, when you're struggling with things, when there's things that you don't understand. Knowing. How do you count that joy, Lord? Knowing that the testing of your faith is producing patience. And then he says this. Let patience have its perfect work. In other words, don't jump ship. Don't bail out. Don't change course. Don't switch relationship because this wasn't uncomfortable. Don't go to another church because they won't be doing this there or I like it better. Stay the course. Let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. What does he mean by perfect? He means whole. That every facet of your life, every part of your character may be honed and dealt with by my word and by my spirit that you will be lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given. We see Peter praying a similar prayer, 2 Peter 1, verse 2 to 8. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. Did you get that? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Where or how? Not through the relief of all your pressures not through the provision of all your needs, but through the knowledge of God in the midst of them and of our Lord Jesus Christ. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Folks, how often do we get frustrated at how little of those promises we experience in our lives. He goes on to say that through these promises we may become partakers of the divine nature. Not just the divine blessing, but the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, our divine nature being formed in us. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. 
For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have that principle of abiding, that knowledge of Jesus which produces fruitfulness in us all over again. Do you see how this is a thread that goes right through these letters, right through the New Covenant, right through every epistle and right through every gospel? That through our intimate connection with Jesus, through allowing Him to change us and mold our hearts, that is the only way we become fruitful and our prayer life produces any kind of meaningful fruit. All comes back to this one thing, our experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm just reminded, a little while ago we had one of the apostolic council from Church of the Nations come and minister to us, Pastor John Scott. Remember? And what does he say? After all these years of ministry, after everything I've been through, after every trial, after every victory, what do I, what do I summarize it as? It's all about Jesus. It's just all about Him. And why is that word so simple but yet so revolutionary to us? Because along the way, people, we tend to make it about so many other things. And it's just not. It's just not. It's all about Him. From this place, prayer becomes a deep and a rich encounter with our God. It is something we look forward to. It is something we draw grace and strength from, not some kind of burden we have to meet or a meeting we have to go to. Our prayers become born from a heavenly perspective and they hold transformational power, first of all in us, and then once we become transformed, that power begins to work through us to bring change and transformation and a new perspective around us. I believe God is calling us back to this place again and again. He says, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. Please, would you open? I want you to come seek me. I want you to take that frustration and that situation you're facing, and I want you to bring it to me. Not so that I can remove it from you, but so that I can empower you in it. So that the victory that I have won may become experiential in your life. Jesus said this, in this world you will have tribulation. Expect it. But he says, be of good cheer. Why? Because tribulation is fun? No, but because I have overcome the world. In other words, no matter what situation you're in, I have the answer for you to have victory in that situation. If that situation is a provision that you need, if that situation is an emotional need, if that situation is a rejection issue, if that situation is a relationship problem, Jesus says, I've got the answer. If you would just abide in me and draw near. So folks, I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. And I want to pray some prayers over you. Just about to say, I didn't see you run up there. That was... Rick is working some magic. I want to pray some prayers over you, just as the Spirit leads me this morning. I want to draw from some of the things that Paul prayed over the church. And in the same way, I just feel led this morning not to have an altar call, not to call people back to the door where the knocking is happening. But as a shepherd, I want to pray over you. The same kind of prayers that Paul prayed. And I want, to, I, want to, I want you to understand that as I pray these prayers, I pray them with full expectation that God will answer them. 
And I want you to receive these prayers over your life this morning in full expectation that God will meet the requests that I am bringing to Him this morning. So, Father, I want to thank You that Your presence is so real here this morning. I want to thank You, Jesus, that You constantly are, are desirous of intimacy with us. Thank You that You are the true vine, that You give us real life. You do not flatter us to deceive us, but You bring us into the truth and the reality of Your kingdom and of Your life. And Lord Jesus, I want to pray Your prayers this morning, Heavenly Father. I want to pray prayers born of your heart, Lord God, over your people, knowing and trusting, Heavenly Father, that you hear our prayers and that you answer our prayers. I want to pray, Jesus, first of all, according to the way you prayed, where you said you do not pray just for your disciples, Lord, but you pray for all of those who would believe in you through their word. And that is us this morning, Father. Lord, I pray that as a body and as your children, we would all be one. As you were in Christ and as Christ was in you, that we also may be in you, Father, in the Godhead, and that the world would believe that you sent us and that you have sent your Son, Jesus. We pray that the glory which you gave Jesus would come upon us, that we may be one just as you and the Father are one. I pray, Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, that you would give to everyone in this place the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who you are. I pray that our eyes, the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that you would breathe upon our minds, that we would know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, which is for us, and what is your, the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe. I want to pray, Lord God, that we would be strengthened with might through your Spirit in our inner man. That you would bring grace and power upon every heart here that has a trial or a struggle, and that you would strengthen them by the power of your Spirit in the inner man. That you would dwell in their hearts, Lord Jesus, through faith, and that as they are rooted and grounded in your love, that each one would be able to comprehend what is the width and depth and length and height to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, that we, Father, that each one here today may be filled with all the fullness of God. We pray, Heavenly Father, as you commanded us, with all prayer and supplication, making intercession for the saints. Lord, let utterance be given to us. As your love and as your life unfolds in us, Father, give us a boldness to open our mouths as we ought to, to make known the mystery of your gospel to those around us, Lord God. Father, I pray that in us your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Pray, Lord God, that we would approve the things that are excellent that we may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus, to the praise and to the glory of our God. I pray and ask, Heavenly Father, finally, that we would each one be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Father, that we may walk worthy of the Lord 
fully pleasing you and being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, our God. Pray that we would be strengthened with all might according to your glorious power, with all patience and long-suffering with joy, that we would give you thanks, that we would return gratitude to you, who has made it possible for us to be partakers of your inheritance as saints in the light. Father, as I pray these prayers this morning, I thank you that I am simply echoing the desire of your heart for us. And so, Lord, this morning, would you pray this with me? Father God, as these words have been spoken, I open the doorway to my heart. And I receive today, by faith in you and by faith in your word, every promise made and every blessing given. In Jesus' name, I thank you for your presence abiding within me. I ask, Father God, that you would stir my heart to draw nearer to you, that you would reveal yourself to me in ways that are unique to my heart and to my situation. Thank you for your grace, which is sufficient for me. Thank you that when I am weak, you are strong. Thank you that where I can't, you can. And thank you when I don't know that you do. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your abiding presence within me. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.